You're listening to the Really Smart Podcast. Each podcast, we look at what's going on in each cropping region, focusing on those pesky weeds. Welcome to another edition of the Weed Smart Podcast. I don't know about your location, but in Perth, it's finally starting to seem a little bit more like autumn. We're joined again, of course, by co-host Peter Newman, who's based out of Geraldton. How are you, Pete? Yeah, very well, Jess. And yes, I went bike riding this morning and it was like a winter front. We had northwesterly winds and clouds and a bit of drizzle. Definitely a bit of season change happening. Things are changing over in the west and I'm sure there's some different weather patterns over east as well. But we've been a little bit consumed by election fever in WA over the weekend. So we're a little bit exhausted, I think. A bit of information overload and the count is still kind of going. Pete, in your electorate, it's very close still. It is almost exactly 50-50, so I think they're recounting. What about your electorate, Jess? How'd that work out? I'm in Bassendine and overwhelmingly Labor. So Dave Kelly, the candidate for Bassendine, will be very overwhelmed with happiness, I'm sure. There's quite a bit of that going on in the Labor camp, yeah. Yes, and interesting results as well with One Nation who were predicted, they were predicting they would get 13% of the votes, looking like it might be under 5%. The Nationals have picked up a few seats. They have, but I think Brendan Grills might be finished. He might have gone. Yeah, Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Mm. Anyway, good luck to the fellow that beat him, I guess. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we've, as I said, we've been a little bit consumed by that, but it's good to sort of have it all over and done with, I think. It's been a, a bit of a... It's always a bit of a trying time in the lead-up to an election. It sort of consumes everyone's conversations and thoughts. Yeah, it is. Now we've got this majority government going on, they'll be able to do lots of stuff. Yes. But there are some other big issues related to farming that I wanted to touch on before we got into our interview today. Later on we will be chatting about growing a crop worth frosting which is connected to our upcoming webinar but we'll tell you a little bit more about that shortly. But another big issue around the country has been more quad bike deaths Pete. It's, it's this ongoing issue and it doesn't seem to be improving and another person died over the weekend and then last week two other people died so within a week or so three people have died from quad bike death and I just wonder you know what can be done to actually change the tide and and not see these injuries and deaths occurring so frequently. Yeah, it's a tricky issue, isn't it? The quad bike is a very popular piece of farm equipment, but, yeah, lots of people die on them. It's really sad, but, yeah, I'm not sure what we can do. I I visited a um, a friend on their farm and had a couple of good fun days down there with the kids and jumped on the quad bike with my children chasing some sheep, which my kids thought was the best thing they'd ever done in their life. They had loved it. But as we got on, my mate said, look, you realise that this is the number one dangerous piece of farm equipment comes with a big caveat and yeah you've got to be careful on them you do and the amount of times working as a reporter in the agricultural regions I've been on the back of a quad bike recording a story with someone you know just leaning on the side as we went along no helmet and I've ridden on one myself and you know they get up to quite high speeds and when you think about it a lot of the time when you go on farm 
people who are not wearing helmets like recommended and also there's some good innovations that are coming through too that I've seen. I reported on these a lot as a journalist before I started at Ari and Weed Smart. You can get a ring that sits on the back of the quad so if it rolls you're not crushed by the quad bike. So I guess I would encourage before obviously there are talks of changing legislation so there's mandatory helmet and, and making sure that people under the age of 16 are not allowed by law to ride these quad bikes but I would encourage people who already got one just to reassess the safety you've got around it and, and consider whether or not you can put some more safety practices in place just to make it safer because it does seem to be just like this ongoing issue where there's more deaths and more injuries we're always hearing about it yeah well, i hadn't seen those rings i'd have to, I'd have to check them out It'd be interesting to hear from a grower and find out if they're a practical thing on farm or or whether they're a bit cumbersome or yeah or if it is something that's practical that we can do yeah it just sits on the back i don't think they're that that expensive either it's definitely worth having a google and i won't mention like the brand name or anything but if you google it and you're interested definitely have a look but talking about some more lighter things now we'll move on to our uh, we smart podcast interviews we're going to be finding out from garanel who works for consult ag he's going to be talking in the webinar on march 22nd about some tips and tricks around growing a crop worth frosting peak can you give us a little bit more of a taste on what sort of topics he's going to be covering well garen has been uh, a mouthpiece for frost for a long time actually early on in the days of frost problems garen was one person who was heavily involved and very vocal about what some of the options are and he lives uh, and works in an area where frost is, is a very common uh, theme every year and his clients are affected very regularly. There's no answer, there's no perfect answer but there are tools that growers are using and his clients are using and lots of growers all around the state I guess to minimise that risk of major damage from frost. So yeah there's no answer but there are some things that can be done to reduce the losses. Alright well shall we take a listen? We shall. Alright let's hear it. I'm chatting today with Consult Ag Agronomist Garen Nell. He works out of Narragin in WA's Great Southern and he'll be joining us for our webinar on March 22nd which is all about mitigating the risk of frost and it's entitled A Crop Worth Frosting so definitely check that out on our Weed Smart website. But first of all Garen, how are you? How are you going? Yeah, great thanks Jessica. Uh, very good. It's a uh, busy time of year and a lot of agronomy planning going on, getting organised for the coming year. Definitely. And can you give us some background on what you do as an agronomist in the Great Southern, what your field of expertise is in? Yeah, I'm an uh, independent agronomist, so I uh, work with farming families and corporate farmers basically to give the growers best independent advice to help them manage their risk and, and uh, maximise returns. So I do a lot of on-farm agronomy and within our business we also do a fair bit of research as well. And WA experienced some devastating frost events last year. Can you give us some more detail on the impact it did have on farm? We probably were looking at the one of the best production years ever observed prior to the frost events. We had really good summer and autumn rainfall, so a really good early start to the season. Our crops established well. We had a relatively dry winter, which meant, especially dry winter in the high rainfall area, which meant those crops had a high potential. Often they suffered from waterlogging. And then in the lower rainfall, they had adequate winter winter rainfalls. So combined with the summer rainfall and strong autumn, autumn early break, 
the yield potential of the crops was, was phenomenal, but unfortunately we had uh, 10 or 15 frost events which really knocked that potential around. So we were looking at one of the best years ever observed and parts of WA, or large parts of WA achieved that. So West Australia as a whole grew the highest amount of grain ever grown out of WA, but the, really the southern half of the state or the southern central area of WA really just came in on average or below average for, for yields because of the frost. So what was the actual loss for those people who were most affected? So depending on the business and how hard it was hit, it's obviously very variable, but a lot of businesses were looking at really high profits and they've ended up with break-even to um, kind of 10% loss in equity. So luckily, uh, as it turned out, come harvest time, the yield potential of the frosted crops was much higher than we'd expected. For example, a scenario was one of my clients, we estimated his crop, this barley crop would have been about a three and a half tonne crop and it was 50% frosted, but and we were very confident it was 50% frosted. When he harvested it went over three tonnes a hectare, but the unfrosted areas were going over six tonnes. So what we found was that the damage was took a lot of yield off the top of the crop, but actually there was a lot more yield there than we first anticipated. It really depends on where the farmer was and how much how badly hit he was. So. so yeah, obviously varied, as you said, that some people were really affected, some people ended up being okay. The challenge is how you measure potential. So all businesses in the frost area were affected and they all lost a lot of potential yield. But the funny thing about potential is you've never got it, you haven't got it until you've got it. So a lot of crops would have been in the four to six tonne range and they ended up being in one and a half to two tonne range. So, and in those areas they came in on average or a bit below average, but they actually lost a lot of potential off the top. So there was an interesting circumstance that you explained, uh, even though there was those 10 to 15 frost events overall, there was good conditions which provided big yields for a lot of farmers. But how common are frost events in, say, the last decade or so? Have they been increasing or decreasing? Well, Stephen Crimp's research from CSIRO has shown that the frost window is widening, so we're getting our first frost earlier and we're getting our last frosts later. As well as that, we're also seeing more frosts. So what that's the implications for that for farmers is that it's not will we get a frost effect, it's how bad and how many we'll get in the southern central area of WA. And I estimate that 40% of my clients lose 40% of their yield every second year. Right, okay. So not necessarily the same farmer in each zone, or the other way is my clients lose, probably lose 20% of yield every year across. But of course that's not every year. If you average it, it's 20 every year, but in reality they have a couple of years without it and then they'll get a couple of bad frost years in a row. Yeah, so for the southern central area of WA, frost is now becoming our, by far our most limiting factor. When we get a drought, a dry year, that has a big impact, but you see a drought coming and you manage your inputs and your finances accordingly. The problem with frost years is you don't know it's coming. You do everything you can to optimise crop yield. So you keep spending right up to the day before the frost and some farmers keep spending after frost if they're not very good at identifying the damage. Right, I see. That's unfortunate. So yep. with these changing circumstances, what do you do about managing frost risk then? The key thing for growers is firstly to identify their high frost risk paddocks and, and to work out are they in an area that's regularly frosted and do they need to do something different in that area or were they just hit by a one-off extreme event? So last year was a very big bad year. We had the coldest spring since 1969. 
and the coldest average minimum temperature since 1910, so virtually since recording. Mm. Um, so for some, some guys that were badly frosted last year, they may not have had a lot of events in the previous five, and really they should just farm how they have in the past because it wouldn't want to massively change the system. But some of my clients now have been frosted two years in a row and probably had you know, 50% of years getting significant impacts on their business, and those guys need to really look at their farming system, how much risk they take, the balance of livestock versus crop and what cropping species they grow as well. In the webinar, we're going to be addressing early sowing. Now, this is something that's recommended in a lot of realms because it reduces weed burden and also can maximise crop yield. What's your advice when it comes to planting and sowing times? Um, the most important thing is to have the right variety for the job. So, you know, in, in agriculture these days, if you've got moisture, you can't afford not to be seeding. But one of the problems in Western Australia, we have a, a really big adoption of short-season wheat varieties, such as wild catchum, mace and septa, or short-season barley varieties, such as latrobe, high marsh and spartacus. So they're all short-season varieties bred for planting in the second half of May. They're very good-yielding varieties, but if farmers get varieties bred for the second half of May and then plant them in the second half of April, they're going to have their head out and flowering at a stage when the probability of frost is very high. If you're in a frost area, it becomes not, will it get affected by frost, but how bad will it get affected by frost? If growers were to use longer season varieties, such as cutlass or yippee or kalingari for that earlier window, they're flowering a little bit later and can help avoid or delay flowering and have a flowering in a window when the probability is a little less. Do you see that culture changing? Are farmers starting to accept that that's the reality now, do you think? Yeah, it's a, it's a real compromise because, um, you know, in 2015, because um, every year is different. So in 2015, we had a dry finish. We also had a bad late frost. So on the 1st of October in 2015, we had 35 degrees. On the 4th of October, we had minus 4. So that's pretty extreme conditions. Yeah. And what happened that year was it penalised any of the late crops. So the later planted crops, and when I say later, only anything after the 25th of May, those crops were flowering and early grain fill at the time of the 35 degrees and the minus 4. So we had a really steep drop-off in 2015, had a really steep drop-off of the yield of those crops. Then we had 2016 with an early break and farmers had very strong in their mind the impact of time of sowing last year and they've gone and planted a lot of crop very early and possibly overreacted to the dry finish of one year to expose the whole business to more frost the following year. Right, yep. So it's about having a balance. Farmers have to make the most of the moisture they've got in the ground when they have it because at the right time to sow, you may not have that moisture. But the key thing is to start seeding early and probably still finish at the normal time. So what we saw last year was lots of farmers finish seeding in the middle of May and that may not, over time, that proved to be a risky strategy. They may be better to start early but still finish late, have weekends off, work gentlemen's hours and, and keep the seeding operation going but just drag it out to have a mix of strategies. Makes sense. Well, thank you for giving us a bit of a preview of what we'll be talking about on March 22nd in that webinar. If you do have any questions after listening, you will get the opportunity to actually ask those if you do join in on the webinar. So just make a note of it. Make a note of the date, March 22nd. Thank you so much, Garen, now for giving us that preview. Look forward to joining everyone on the 22nd. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks, Garen.
great to hear from Garen Nell there. He will, of course, as I said earlier, be joining us on that March 22nd Weed Smart webinar. And he's going to be joined by Ben Bidolf as well, Pete. Yeah, we spoke to Ben earlier, so we haven't spoken to him in this podcast, but yeah, between the two of them, uh, they, they've got a lot of knowledge about Frost, Ben, very much from the research side, and Garen, obviously, from the very practical side, being an agronomist. So yeah, I think that should interact really well. I'm looking forward to that webinar. Yes, it should be good. And you can register on our WeedSmart website. It's The registration details are in the slider at the bottom, so if you just click through at the bottom, you'll be able to click through and register. And make sure you do it soon, because you will forget. We always say, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Register now. Jump on. But we've also, uh, we also caught up with a farmer who lives in a similar area to where Garen Nell consults out of in the Great Southern. We talked to Gary Lang, and he gave us a little bit of insight of how frost has affected him and what he does to minimise the risk of frost to his crops. Are you familiar with Gary at all, Pete? Do you know him well? I do know Gary well and we do laugh about it but I spoke at an update at Wickapen, uh, must be six years ago now I think and they'd had a big frost the year before and I was down there talking about weeds and herbicide resistance management and that sort of thing and Gary grabbed me afterwards and said look we're getting conflicting messages the frost guys are saying one thing and you're saying another and it really pulled me up and made me think all right so we've got to work out which areas we agree on and which areas we differ on and then work out what's the most important factor and the most important thing is often going to be frost so I guess it was very he did well to to pull me up and it's made me think twice about how I give weed management uh, information particularly in our southwest. Yes you often have to strike a balance you can't always be following every message because it needs to apply to where you live and what are the biggest impacts for your area as well. That's exactly right. All right so let's take a listen to Gary's experience. I'm chatting with farmer Gary Lang today and I'm going to ask him a little bit about his farm and also about his approach to frost and weeds. But first of all, how are you, Gary? What have you been up to? Not too bad today. I've had a sleep in this morning because well, I haven't been spraying weeds through half the night. Oh, wow. <laughs> Very nice. It's good to get a sleep in, in sometimes. Yes. So, so can you give us a little bit of background on your farm, Gary? Uh, so our farm's a predominantly cropping farm. We crop about 4,000 hectares on full CTF cropping program. And where are you out of? Wickapin. We're uh, 15 k's north of Wickapin. Excellent. So how do you go about managing weeds on your farm, Gary? Well, apart from having 8 or 10% of the farm in pasture and rotating that to the weediest paddocks, the main way we do it is to have a, a large portion of broadleaf crops and pasture, and that'll be somewhere between 35 and 40% of the farm each year. And then lastly, we use a, a couple of chaff decks on the header and put the weeds on our tram lines. Yeah, right. We've got this webinar coming up and we're going to be focusing on frost and how to manage that. And obviously it was quite a few people were impacted by frost in Western Australia uh, over the last season. What was your experience with frost in the last season just gone by? Yeah, just five or ten, probably ten percent of our oats. So pretty major. 
Yes, devastating. Impact. Yep. And quite a lot of people were impacted. How do you go about managing frost, though, in your, what's your approach? Uh, so our approach is mainly try to use a range of varieties and crops. You know, each crop has its place and the oats we're using in the most frost prone patches and we then use barley in the next highest risk areas and then wheat in the least risk areas. To try and manage the frost to some degree, we then have a number of varieties and time our sowing or and try and time our flowering time to the the spot between frost and heat, which is in late September for us. But yeah, it didn't work too well last year, but uh, yeah, that's our approach. Yes, obviously some weather circumstances, you can do all the planning and use the best uh, practice out there, but if you get these unexpected weather events, there can obviously still be that risk of getting frosted crop as well. But aside from obviously how you mentioned, you've had a, a devastating time with frost in your last season, but in previous years, how effective has your approach been at managing frost? Well, frost is such a major impact on yields here. We're getting frosted every year. I'm not sure how to rate our management, quite frankly, but pairing us with our neighbours, yeah, we seem to go okay. We are much more conservative in our approach and therefore possibly lose the tiniest bit of yield in the good years, And but then did certainly have better yields than some other people around the place last year when the frost was so bad. So is there any other advice that you would want to impart on other growers when it comes to managing frost from your experience? Certainly I think the stubble burning is a minor help, definitely a help, and so we burn all the cereals that we're putting into canola and, uh, and it lowers our stubble burden across our farm and, and helps us to get through a little bit better. Yeah, in some years you just can't do a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, you've just got to do what you can, I guess. One of my approaches to frost is to listen to everything Peter Newman tells me to do for weed and do the opposite for frost, which becomes a bit of an issue. Yeah, right. So have you found that um, you're getting more weed outbreaks then when you're having to alter your approach for frost? Is that becoming a bit of an issue? No, we don't have a huge problem with weed, really, but yeah, it's most of the, most of the things that uh, help with weeds belch with frost, so it's, it's just a continual compromise of farming, I think. Yeah, you've got to strike the right balance, I suppose. Well, you can't win, or on yeah. your bad days, you think you can't win, yeah. but um, on your good days, you, you just manage between the two. Alright, well thank you so much for uh, giving us some of your input into how you approach frost and weeds, Gary, appreciate it. My pleasure, thank you. Great to hear from a farmer there on his experience with Gary Lang giving us an insight into his life on the farm and how he deals with frost and also weed management. Pete, you said earlier to me, we were chatting before we got started on this podcast, we were talking about Gary Lang and his insight and what he ended up going with on farm. And he did end up for his weed management going with a chaff deck. And you actually chatted with him about that prior to him making that decision. What ended up making him go with that? What was the reasoning behind it? I'm not a hundred percent sure what the final thing was but look we spoke about it at length because he knew that he was predominantly crop but had some livestock and that he wanted to get on top of his ryegrass seed bank even more and he knew he wanted harvest weed seed control and he was really tossing up between chaff cart where the sheep can graze the dumps and the chaff deck and uh, he ended up going the chaff deck and I guess at the time we didn't really know there was not much and still isn't a great deal of science on the on the weeds rotting in the chaff deck and we didn't 
really know how the sheep were going to go with the chaff deck because there weren't too many growers who had a chaff deck and sheep. Uh, so far, I think he's been pleasantly surprised. I think he's been really happy with how the livestock have gone and how he's concentrating the, the weed seeds into those chaff lines. And I visited last year during Weed Smart Week, actually, and, and it looked fantastic. And on the strength of that, one of the growers in the group that we were with went home and bought two for himself. So I think he is doing something right. Yes, the power of seeing something in action and then making that decision. It's always quite powerful if you see something going well in, in person. That can definitely be a big influence, can't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's nothing like getting out there in the field and seeing someone who's already adopted it and, and uh, picking their brains about all the pros and cons and then and really is a very powerful tool to be able to use uh, farm visits and, and trips like that. Definitely. Well, thank you to Gary Lang again for taking his time and giving us some insight. We are at the end of the podcast for this edition, but just another reminder that if any questions have popped up while listening to Garen, and if you had any questions for Ben Bidoff, who will be joining us on the podcast alongside Garen Nell on March 22nd, write them down and feel free to put them to those guys in the webinar happening on March 22nd. Pete, thank you so much for joining me again on our Weed Smart podcast. Thanks, Jess. It's been great.